I just said to them on the way out, how can two people do all of that, right? And then like the whole team tonight was ridiculously good. Like on, if you don't know this, on uh, Sundays, the whole band is here. Like at the drums, electric guitars, the whole thing. And I tell people, yeah, Thursday night's more acoustic. It's more unplugged. But I'll, I'll say, but it's no less energy. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing what they do. So thanks to our team uh, for putting together an amazing worship again. Yeah, give them a hand. Welcome to those of you online, too, for joining us. I was just thinking this week that uh, there, there may be more if I think about it, but I, I was thinking there's one sport in particular that you can completely fail, you can completely tank it, and you can still win. I mean, there's one sport you could, like, be the worst possible you could awesome, you know, ever be, and you could still win. And the sport is tennis. I'm not making fun of tennis. This is true because like in a Grand Slam tournament, the guys play three out of five sets and you can realize right away that you're in trouble in this set and you can just tank that set. So I don't care if he beats me 6-0. I'm going to come back in the next set and beat him. But this set, I'm not going to spend any energy. Maybe there was a little injury. Maybe there was a problem. Maybe you realize like Something's like, they already broke me once. If you don't know tennis, that means they beat you when you were serving. And so like, and all of a sudden they did it again. Like, I'm, I'm too far behind this set. I'm just going to give up on this set. But if you pay attention and you watch, you, you notice something. They have a couple of things they're doing. Like, it may be that they're working on something during that set. They're, they're going to give, they're not going to win this set. They know that. But they're just going to smack the ball into the deep corner as much as they can just to see how close they can get to that line. So the next set, they're going to need that shot. And they want to make the other guy run as much as possible. But if he hits one over there, that's why I'm not going to run for it. And so they use the, listen to this, they use the failure of that set to teach them and to prepare them to win the next set. And I was thinking about that this week because I was thinking about the Apostle Paul. And I was thinking, you know, for, for a lot of people, being in prison, for him, on the outside looked like a huge failure. Like his, his ministry, his job was to go from town to town and tell people about Jesus, and now he's stuck in prison. But we have the perspective of 2,000 years. We have the perspective knowing that it was in the failure of what some people thought was failure, him being in prison, that he wrote most of the New Testament. It's while he was in prison. In fact, when you read his letters, like we're doing this summer, we're calling this Dear Friends, and we're looking at a different letter that Paul wrote every week, and this week we're going to look at 2 Timothy. But when you read all these different letters, you're never going to see him pray, God, get me out of prison. His prayer is always, God, help me boldly communicate your truth. His prayer is not, my first prayer would be, get me out of prison. Like, I, I would say that prayer every day, right? We never read those words from him. And what seemed like failure, he used and allowed God to use him to do something that is a huge success for us. We have the written word of God today. And so much of this New Testament are letters from the Apostle Paul to people or to churches to help and to encourage and, and to prepare them for what's coming on. So 
Last week we were at 1 Timothy. I wanted to do 1 Timothy together so we wouldn't have to back up and give a whole lot of historical perspective. But in case you missed last week, Paul uh, is, is older now. And in fact, we know this. In 2 Timothy, it's most likely his very last letter that he wrote. Because right after this, he'd be executed. And so he's writing this last letter to Timothy. Now, if you were here last week, you know, he wrote to Timothy and said, now, go, let's go to Ephesus. I'm going to send you back to Ephesus. We were there before. The church was doing great. Paul had spent two years there. He sends Timothy back there because some false teachers and some bad leaders had worked their way in and the church was beginning to go sideways. And so he sends Timothy to straighten everything up and to deal with it. Now, Timothy is very young. And so we reread in the first Timothy a lot of the, the encouragement. Even though you're young, this is what you can do, like with God's help. But, but the guys who had kind of like taken over were older, overpowering, uh, manipulative. And, and they were getting, and, and I think Timothy's discouraged. And so he writes him again. But if you, if you read the whole letter, you know that part of this letter is to say, hey, Timothy, I'm in Rome, I'm in prison. I don't think I have much longer to go. Please come and see me. Like Paul's saying, I, I need you with me. In fact, at the end of the letter, we're not going to read all of it. It's like at the end of the letter, a lot of people are already gone. It's like, just, it's just, he's just there. And, and other people are, oh, I have their assignments, but he's like, Timothy, I need you here. And I almost get the sense that this letter is like, and if you don't make it by the time I'm executed, then this letter will be a help to you and to the church. That's how big 2 Timothy is. I don't know uh, if you've ever thought about this, but if you, if you knew you only had a month to live, like, like who would you talk to? What would you say? What would you write for your family? We would, we would typically call those kinds of things like legacy moments. Like we're, we're trying to pave the way. We're not going to be here forever. We want to make sure they understand what was important to us. And we want to pass on, especially for a follower of Jesus, we want to pass on Jesus. And so we, we get the sense from the apostle Paul as he kind of encourages Timothy. And he says, I want you to come to Rome, but, but if I don't make it, this, I, you got to get this stuff down. This is important stuff. This is legacy kinds of stuff. And, and what he does, not only helping Timothy, he literally helps us 2000 years later by understanding what a legacy is all about when it's not all about us and it's about Jesus. When the legacy is all about Jesus, that, that's what we want to focus on. Rick Warren um, said this, and I, and I just came across this recently on, on their website, but he said this, the more we lead, listen to this carefully, the more we lead self-focused lives, the more we're prone to discouragement. Every time we forget it's not about us, we'll get prideful, fearful or bitter. I think I read that a dozen times. And, and, and if, you, if you know Paul's story and how many times he was beaten and shipwrecked and imprisoned, like, I, I could see his life going there, like prideful at times because of what you know, God was able to do through his life and some of the miracles God did. Uh, but, but fearful, bitter for sure. But for the Apostle Paul, it was never about him. So because he kept his eyes on Jesus, he's able to work through all of this stuff. And so what I want to do this week is 2 Timothy has four, four chapters. I'm going to give you two words to kind of summarize each chapter. I'm going to kind of walk our way through it. So if you're, again, if you're new, we're doing a whole letter every week. And so it's like there's, there's weeks and weeks and weeks we could spend here. We're, just going to, we're giving you an overview all summer long of these kind of letters. But, but here's for chapter one, just these two words, no fear. No fear. If you've got a paper Bible, you're going to write that in over by chapter one. No fear. That's what this was all about. 
See, early on when I uh, became the pastor at Community, I told you a little bit about that last week, but early on, I'm like 27 years old, I'd been the pastor for like a whole two and a half months, and I get the call from somebody who is about 60 years old. In fact, at the time, this person was the age of my grandfather, so 60-some years old. I was 27. He says, we need to have a meeting, and I'm bringing so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so with me. So four people. And I knew who was coming, and I knew they weren't happy. Oh, it's kind of like when you work customer service for Walmart. Like, you never talk to anybody that's happy. That's kind of how I felt that day. I, I knew they weren't going to be happy. But I set up four chairs, and I had my, and I'm, I'm ready. And here they come. They all come in. They all sit down. And this is what the spokesman says. He says, if you don't change things back to the way we want them, we and a lot of people we know are going to stop giving. These are influential men in our church, heads of families in our church. There's generations in these, in these guys' lives who come to our church. And we're a little tiny church. So literally, this is probably 25% of our church at the time. They represented a, lar a large group of people. If you don't change things back, we and a lot of people we know are going to stop giving. And I didn't even think about it. I just said, wow, I guess you have to find another church. They were like, what? I go, yeah, if, if you don't trust the leadership of this church, you need to go where you can because if you don't give, you're going to lose. I said, this church is going on with or without you. All of them left. All of their families left. And I don't know why I wasn't afraid when they said that, except that I just felt real clearly this is what I was supposed to say. Like, this is what God wanted them to hear. And so I'm just going to say it. I didn't know what the repercussions, the consequences were going to be. I really could have told you, like, at the moment when I said this church is going to go on with or without you, I didn't know that was true. I just knew it was the right thing to say. It's like, you're, you're not going to strong arm the leadership of this church. That includes this young little pastor, 27 years old. You're not going to do that. And this is what the leaders of this church have decided to do. And this is what we're going to, and you don't want to go somewhere else. It's okay. Find another place. Because if you don't give, you're going to be the ones that are messed up. It was interesting. A couple years later, two of them came back. The other ones never did. And the other two came back separately, not like connected to each other. And in both times, they came up to me and they just said, hey, will, will you forgive us? I'm like, absolutely. Like in, like in the heat of it, I, I understand. Like tem tempers were high and emotions were high and things were changing fast. I get it, but I, I still to this day don't know why I wasn't afraid when they walked in. And I read this verse, 2 Timothy 1.7. Listen to this. For the Spirit of God, the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, or sometimes it's translated afraid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Listen, listen carefully. God does not equip us with weakness. When he calls us to do something, he equips us to do it. He gives us the power to do it. Power, love, and self-discipline. He says that. So, keep reading, verse 8, so... Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel. Ooh, that's a great invitation. Have you ever heard that one before? Join with me in suffering. Woohoo! It's going to be so great. Join with me in suffering for the gospel. Why? Because it's so worth it. Listen to this. By the power of God. 
He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done. Like, we have not earned this. That's the message he keeps saying over and over and over. But because of his own purpose and grace, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. You go back to Ephesians chapter 1, and what does he say? Before the foundations of the world, God predestined to adopt us into his family, and the price for that adoption would be the precious blood of his son. He said that before he ever created us. And here he alludes to that again, too. It's not because of us. We're not good enough. But it's by his grace and his mercy that he offers us this relationship and we can be a part of his family. And so what does he tell Timothy? You know what you're going to need? You're not going to need to be afraid because God is with you. You're going to have his power. In fact, you're going to need courage because there is going to be suffering and there is going to be persecution and there are going to be like cultural shifts. And we need you to be a leader in the midst of this. And even though you're younger than some of the people you are like up against, you can do this because God is with you. You're, you're not alone. That's what he's saying. That's the message over and over throughout both of these little letters. Some would abandon Paul, and some would uh, disappoint him, and some would turn on him. And it's really interesting to me, in 2 Timothy, he literally calls them out by name, starting in chapter 1 all the way through chapter 4. There's this, by the way, this person did a lot of harm to me. This person deserted me. But then he names off the people who were by his side and wouldn't let him down. It's like, Timothy is one of those people. And that's why he says, I, I, want, I want you to come. I want you to find me in Rome. I want you to be with me. So here he is, holding fast to the power of God while he's in prison, encouraging Timothy that that same power is with him. And for that matter, it's with us too. And so here's the message that we can translate. A message to Timothy 2,000 years ago can still be translated to us, and it's like this. We have that same power that raised Jesus from the dead alive and work in us so that, this is so important, so that, not so that we can be comfortable, so that we can be difference makers. That's what he calls us to do, to be difference makers. And so, so he says, no fear. God's on your side. God's got you. Chapter two, I would give you these two words, never compromise. Never compromise. And by the, by the way, I was thinking about this today. Um, if you were to read through 2 Timothy like I did several times, and you just kind of like certain things jumped out at you, you might have two very different words for every chapter. It's just kind of how God worked in me this, this week working on this. And so these two words came to mind, never compromise. And then in my own notes, I added this phrase. Never compromise and don't waste time arguing with people who have. You're going to see that in here, but I want just two words. Never compromise. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust, listen to this, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. I, I walked away from that verse for a while, and I read it again, and I walked away again, and I read it again, and I just kept thinking, we, we read a lot and we hear a lot in our culture today about the consumer um, mindset of the American Christian, like the, the consumer mindset, meaning what's in it for me? Feed me. Take care of me. I want to find a church that meets my needs, like the, that, that consumer mentality. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And so I'm reading this, and I'm reading this, and I'm re I, can't, I can't get away from it. The, the reason that we're taught is not so it can end with us, but so that we can tell somebody else. He says, entrust it with people, reliable people who will then pass it on. They'll teach others. It's not just what's in it for me. It's like, who else needs to hear this? 
And the real joy, and I love this, I mean, you skip to another letter, we'll look at later in the summer, 1 John. One of the things he says there is, is the apostle John is talking about his relationship with Jesus, and he says, by, by sharing this with you, our joy is made complete. It's like, it's one thing to know what Jesus has done for you, but there's another level of joy when you pass it on and you see the light bulb go on for somebody else. It's like, we, we got to pass it on. Never compromise. And then he gives us these examples. I'm not going to read them for you, but he gives the example of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And he's just basically, these are, these are like pictures of people who don't compromise. Like the soldier, like they're all, they don't even get messed up with civilian affairs anymore. They are all in and they know who their commander is. They, they take their orders. They do their thing, right? An athlete, and unless they're in tennis, they can't afford to fail. And so they work hard and they eat right. It's like they're all in. It's like it's absolutely, if they want to compete, they got to go according to the rules, but, but they got to give it all they've got. And then the farmer, like he's, he gives it all he has because he knows there's a prize at the end. He knows that there's a reward coming, a harvest that's coming. Skip down to verse 15. Again, with this idea, never compromise. Look what he says. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles, you might want to underline those words, if you have a paper Bible, correctly handles the word of truth. That, that phrase, correctly handles, means cut straight. It's saying we're not going to cut corners. Like, this is, it's true. It's like, it's true. It's right. It's straight. And I remember my dad telling me when I was a little kid, he always gave that illustration. And I came across it this week reading somebody else who was actually smart, dad. So you like this. You, you agreed with him. I don't know if you guys picked up what I just threw at you and threw at him, but anyway, he's smart. Um, but he, he would say it this way. He said, like, when you're, when you're plowing a field, like, in order to get the first row straight, you literally stare at a point at the other end of the field. Maybe it's a post. Maybe it's a rock. Maybe it's a tree. But you keep your eye on that prize, and you go there. If you look away, like, that row is going to be crooked. You got That first row, it's so important. And that's the same word here. It's like, I'm going to cut a straight path. What does that have to do with anything? Well, we're going to cut a straight path with the word of God. We're going to correctly handle the word of God. So he says later on in verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Man, we could spend like the whole time just on that phrase right there. Did you catch that? Let me read it again in case you were zoning out for a minute. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Man, we could read it over and over and over. I will. Here we go. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. I don't need to expand that. I'll just read it several times, and it's going to sink in. He says, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome. Listen to this. But must be kind to the people who agree with him. Wait, is that what it says? No, must be kind to who? Everyone. Able to teach, not resentful. And then I love verse 25. Listen to this carefully. Opponents on Facebook. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I just keep adding to the Bible. I shouldn't do that. Okay, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. So he's suggesting that some people, the opponents, actually are wrong. And they need the truth. But they're not going to hear the truth if we're obnoxious and rude and not kind 
and arrogant and pointing our finger and put our nose up in the air. It's like, you're, you're not getting this. He says, we must be kind to everyone and then gently instruct them. That, that's a whole message right there. But I literally want to back up to verse 22 and look at this one phrase. Three little words. Here it is. Along with those. Now let this one sink in. He's given them like, I want you to flee this. I want you to dive into this. I want you to hang on to this. I want you to be kind to people. I want you to do this. But, But it's along with those. What does that mean? We can't do this alone. We need each other. We need the family. It's much, much, much more than just the information that we can digest and consume. I have a satellite radio in my, in my Jeep. And um, I really like it. In fact, when uh, I first got it, it was free. And then they, they start charging you like $1,000 a month. And I said, I'm not going to do that. And so they came out with this deal. It was like $5 a month. And I'm like, dude, that's worth it. $5 a month. You know, why is it worth it? Because I can listen to what I want to listen to. You know what I'm talking about? Even, even if you have a radio station you like, don't you find yourself, eh, I don't like that song. You go to another radio station. So on satellite, I literally can listen to whatever I want to listen to. And even on that, if a song comes up I don't like, I just switch to another one. It's like, it's awesome. Now, some of you know this, like you, you can, because of uh, your, your iTunes or your Amazon Prime or whatever you use, you can set up playlists of only songs that you absolutely love. So there's never a song that comes up. You go, oh, I don't know if I like that one because you put it in there. You added it. Here, here's what I noticed. People do that with the Word of God. You can go online and you can hear anything you want to hear. And we typically only listen to what we like to hear, what we're comfortable with. And we just keep finding people who say what agree with us, right? But the reality is, I need other people in my life. I can't just go and get the information. I need to rub shoulders with people. And I know this for a fact. I am a far better man because I'm married. Now, it helps that I have an amazing wife named Michelle. But those of you who are married know what I'm talking about. Being married, living in the same house, like fighting over like which side of the toothpaste you squeeze first, like that stuff refines you. Like if you don't have somebody else to work out your faith with, like you typically just don't grow as much. But when you have somebody else in your life like that, like I I know I'm a better man because of Michelle. I I know I'm a better man because I raised two daughters and they were watching and they would, they would be here on the weekend and they would, they would hear me talk. And then at home they would hear me talk and they're like making sure it's the same thing. And yeah, I wanted it to be, there's a natural kind of accountability when you're around other people. You know, like, I know I'm a better man because of our staff. I know I'm a better man because of my friends. I know I'm a better man because of people I share a life group with. I, I know I'm a better person because I have other people in my life. Again, if it's just about me, I'm just going to read the passages of the Bible that I really like. You know, the promises. Oh, I like the promise. I'll just read more promises. Yeah, skip over that chapter. That was, yeah. I'm going to go to this, this. I like this chapter, right? But I need other people in my life. Why? Because by myself, I typically stick with what I'm comfortable with. When there are other people in my life, they tend to push me out of my comfort zone, which is exactly what I need in order for me to grow to be more like Jesus. I need other people. So he says, along with others. 
I mean, sometimes it's just those little phrases we see in the, in the, in the midst of a text. We could spend time on any one of those other verses along with others. Don't miss that. We need the family of God. And, and by the way, this family, we're going to be kind. So be nice to each other. <laughs> we don't yell around here. Be nice, be gentle, be kind, like help each other. And when we don't agree, still be nice, be kind, be gentle, because we're part of the same family. Chapter three, two words, embrace truth, embrace truth. And when I say embrace truth, I mean cling to it. Life, your life depends on it. Why? Because it does. We desperately need the word of God like over and over and over in our life. I was uh, going to Bible college way back in the day. Like we, would, we got there like in horseback and covered wagons and I'm old. So anyway, so I went to Bible college and I'm going to tell you right now, I never once had a class. Listen to me carefully. I never once had a class in four years in getting my bachelor, in two years getting my master's. I never had a class on how to effectively lead a church through a worldwide pandemic. I didn't have one class on that ever. By the way, I never had a class on how to lead a church through a time of racial tension. I never had a class on what if people are confused about their gender. I never had questions in classes about those kinds of things. You know what the Bible college taught me? The Bible. And that's what I need when stuff comes up in life. Like that, I need, I need to know the truth. I need to embrace the truth. I need to hang on to the truth. And by the way, God's word is not always popular but I'm going to hang on to it because I know it's true. And here's the cool thing, because I know it comes from a father, a God who loves us and knows what's best for us. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to skip down to verse 14. We'll just start there. But as for you, continue in. So he's talking about the word of God. Continue in. Let me just stop there for a second. I don't, I don't honestly know how many times I've read through the Bible. For the last probably 15 years, I've, I've read through the Bible, um, the whole Old Testament and the New Testament twice. The whole Old Testament once, the New Testament twice. I'm on a reading plan, and I've been doing this for years. And even before that, I read through the whole Bible. I, I don't know how many times I've done it, but every single time I open the Word of God, every year I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Every time, there's still fresh bread, like every time. There's still something God's showing me. I'd never noticed before or never hit me the same way because the word of God is living and active, right? So and as for you, continue in. Okay, I'll keep reading. Those of you who are trying to keep me on the text up here. What you have learned, continue in. What you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And now from infancy, you made known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now listen to the next couple of verses. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So let me say it again. Embrace truth. Cling to the Word of God. Saturate your life with His living words. And let me say it again, having, having the experience of it being lived out in community, in family, in relationship. You know, when I, when I read this, I'm, I'm looking at the whole, the whole thing now. First Timothy, second Timothy, I'm looking at the whole thing. And just over and over again, I get this idea that, man, team is important. 
The Apostle Paul was not a lone ranger. And it's interesting when you see his team that he built. Just, just him and Timothy are a great picture of this. Paul was born a, a pure Jew by birth. He gives his credentials, his Jewish credentials in another place. And even after he listened to all that, he says, but they count nothing compared to just knowing Jesus. But he gives his credentials. He wants people to know, hey, listen, I, I'm pure. Like I, I was my mom and my dad, like faithful, devout Jews. Timothy, biracial family. Dad was a Greek. Mom was a Jew. And I love the fact they're, they're a part of the same team. Like the, the differences maybe in, in, in a lot of ways made them stronger, right? So there's this team idea again. There's this family idea all over again. But in verse 16, he says, all scripture is God breathed. That, that just, sometimes it's translated is inspired by God. It just means uh, the word of God was not some, some body's idea. It wasn't some man's idea. It was God's idea. Scripture didn't come from man. It came from God. And so it's good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that we can be thoroughly equipped to make a difference in the culture that we're placed in. When you, when you go to the word of God, instead of just looking for the promises that make you feel better, look at the word of God like, God, what are you trying to do in me, for me, through me, so that I can make a difference? Show me how I can make a difference with my neighbors. Show me how I make a difference with people I work with, with people I go to school with. Like, show me in your word, like, what, what I can do to make a difference. Because that's what the word's for, he says. It's, it's to be used. It's to be lived out. It's to be shared. But, but if you do that, by the way, be, be ready. And let me back up a couple of verses. Verse 12, listen to this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted Oh, there's one of those promises you never see in a bathroom promise book, right? Kind of reminds me of John 16, 33. In this life, you will have trouble. There's another promise. It's like back to this team. Do, do you want to go through the most difficult things in life by yourself? You, you want to go through persecution and suffering by yourself? Or do you want to do that with people who can hang on to you and hold you and lift you up and pray for you and help you? It's like, yeah, the obvious answer. We, we want those other people around us. Chapter four, finish strong. Finish strong. Given how our world and its culture operates, these words seem to ring true as much so today as they did 2,000 years ago. I want you to listen to these words, beginning in verse 2. I'm just going to read this section. It says, preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own evil desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. By the, by the way, that word, when he, when he used that upper phrase, there, preach the word, he's, he, I, know, I know Paul's talking to Timothy, but it's not a phrase that's necessarily for preachers, pastors. It just means to speak with a response in mind. All of us who are followers of Christ are to do that. We speak with a response in mind. We, we speak life and joy and hope into our neighbors, into our friends, so, so that they can know Jesus too. We, we want to see that response. We want them to know him. Every one of us, as Jesus said, are witnesses, not just the people on a church staff. 
Every one of us are ambassadors, as the Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth. We're all ambassadors representing Christ where we work and where we live and whatever we do. It's like that's who we are as followers of Christ. Last uh, Saturday, I lost one of my heroes. His name is Ron Carter. And that Bible college I was telling you about, where they never gave me a class on how to lead a church through a worldwide pandemic, uh, Ron Carter was one of those guys that stood out to me, and he was, for me, my personal greatest inspiration while I was at college to be a pastor someday. He was never one of my professors, but he literally led our midweek Wednesday night chapel service for students. And we, I was in a school of like 800 students, small school. But we had a chapel service that, that rocked on Wednesday nights, and it was mostly because of him. And he preached to us like, like we were his church family. He treated us like we were his family. And he loved Jesus passionately and wanted us to know that same Jesus and then be able to pass it on to the churches we served at. You know, over the years, I got to spend some time with Ron at different things and different events. Uh, one time we were with just some other guys and we were, uh, we were all pastors and we were all spending like three or four days together just golfing and hanging out and talking about church stuff. For some of you, that would be like, like the worst vacation ever. For me, I was having the time of my life with guys that I look up to and admired and respected. And, and Ron was one of those guys. And we were going on the room and guys were just saying, hey, so how did you all meet each other, you know? And it was one of a few times I got to tell some other people how special Ron was to me in my life, what he, what he meant to me. So, sorry, but when I read these next few verses, I know the Apostle Paul knew he was at the end of his life. But there was people like Ron in my life that I think honored this passage. So I'm going to read it. Try, try to read it. So Paul says in verse 6, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Listen to this. I love this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, listen to this, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Man, this is, this is like legacy stuff right here focused on Jesus. He fought the good fight. The Apostle Paul, it was a battle a spiritual battle, and we're all in that. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Like, like that picture he gives, not just here, but also in other letters about the athlete who does the very best because if they don't do the very best, they're not going to win, and you want to win, and you want the reward at the end. And he's faithful. He says he kept the faith. I think we'd be stupid not to acknowledge that sometimes life can be difficult. Life can be painful. Life can be downright hard. But that's not the whole picture. This life is not the whole picture, is it? Christians are rewarded, and Christians are affirmed, and Christians are honored, and Christians are promoted, either at our death or if Jesus comes back first. And I'm good either way. In fact, what Paul got to hear And what my friend got to hear 
just a week ago or these words well done good and faithful servant I was just working today on uh, some 60 second ideas for next week and in one of them I talk about my mom I know she heard that too it's not that we don't grieve as Christians it's just that we get to grieve with hope because we know where they are we know that they've heard that well done, good and faithful servant. We know that they've been welcomed and received and they're rewarded and honored because they were faithful. And I want you to hear that. I want to hear that. But that doesn't happen because we work hard or because we just are really good people. It happens because we said yes to Jesus and then we let him lead our life. Remember what he said in chapter one? It's not because of anything we've done. It's because of him and his plan all along by his mercy and grace to, to adopt us into his family, to invite us into his family. And he paid that price for us on the cross. We have this hope, the Bible says, over and over and over. We have this hope. And I love that we just sang this new song this weekend. We have this hope because of Jesus. And to lose someone we care about, it hurts. But we have this hope. As a pastor, I've done my share of funerals. I've done a ton of them in the last year. And I get to watch how different people respond. And I know every situation is different. I've lost friends. And I've lost people through really difficult situations like ongoing cancer battles and I've lost friends through very quick like shocking accidents and you guys have too but while we grieve because they knew Jesus we grieve with hope and like I said I, I want someday for your family while they grieve and you're gone I want them to grieve with hope because they know where you are. And so I'm just going to do this tonight. If you've never said yes to Jesus, that's where it's got to start. It's going to give you that opportunity. And then we'd love to talk to you about our baptism and how cool that is as a celebration, as a, as a demonstration of this whole thing. But if you've never said yes to Jesus, let's just, let's just pray right now, okay? God, we thank you for the hope that you give us in Jesus. And it's possible maybe somebody here right now just needs to say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Just tell them that in your own words, from your heart to his. It doesn't even need to be out loud. Just say, God, I want you in charge of my life. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross for me. Come into my life and make me new. I'm all yours. And in Jesus' name, the one who gave his life for us, I'm going to pray. Amen.